gospel lesson today um, is one that even at first glance is, is really a, a beautiful one. It's filled with mercy and filled with compassion. And yet, as we look at two kind of precursory issues, um, items, this story becomes even more beautiful as we consider it through that lens. So the, the first of those precursory items that I want to mention today is this, um, that, that understanding generosity really adds a lot to this picture, okay? Um, what is generosity? Generosity is giving a lot, right? Because I like to make up my own words, we're going to say it's giving bigly, okay? Generosity, though, also includes the idea that you are giving bigly without some kind of expectation of receiving in return. I'm going to use my dad as a, a, a negative example of this. Um, that's okay. It's not really too bad. Uh, but as a, a business owner, he would, every year, he would go to Sam's Club and he would buy a ton of food and a ton of drinks right around Christmas time, and then he would throw a big Christmas party for all of his clients. Now, was dad being generous when he did this? Not really, right? We might say it was good business sense, but generosity, no. Why was he doing this? He wanted to keep his clients happy so they would keep bringing him their business, right? By contrast, maybe if you donated a large amount of money to the Hope Center here in Appleton, right? to a group that helps those who are poor, who are down on their luck, get back on their feet, you're probably never even going to receive so much as a thank you from the people who are benefiting from that, right? And so that's probably a truer spirit of the word generosity. Now, the second precursory item to talk about this morning is the fact that everything that Jesus really does and says in his ministry is made a lot richer when we understand it in the context of the Old Testament. A lot of times we kind of tend to separate Jesus and his work from all the Old Testament stuff. Really, though, it's the Old Testament that provides the entire framework for what Jesus was, was doing among the Jews, right? In fact, Jesus, in John 5, verse 39, is speaking to the Pharisees, and he says to them, you study the scriptures, and what scriptures is he talking about? The scriptures that they had were the Old Testament, right? You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. And so when we understand from the old when we understand certain parts of the Old Testament, it really adds a lot to what we find here between Jesus and and this group of ten lepers that he met on this day. It's not just a story about some healing of the flesh, one thank you, and nine ingrates. Rather, this is a true account from the history of Jesus, which displays his out-of-this-world generosity and how that transforms the lives of those who believe in him. So we're going to kind of go through this verse by verse today, starting at Luke 17, verse 11. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria 
and Galilee. And that phrase along the border in the, the original Greek could also be translated as went right down through the middle of Galilee and then right down through the middle of Samaria. Now, if, if that is the case here, that would have been very um, unlike what most of the other Jews of Galilee or Judea would have done, okay? Most of the time, they would skirt the borderlands around Samaria because there was a lot of tension between these two peoples. The Jews did not like the Samaritans for a variety of reasons. The Samaritans did not feel too great about the Jews in return. And so any self-respecting Jew would not have wanted to be caught dead in Samaria. Now, whether that's the case here, we don't know absolutely for sure. We do know, though, through other accounts of Jesus' life, that he was not shy about going through Samaria. He was not shy about speaking with the people there, about interacting with them, about helping people who needed his help. If anything, what Jesus did is he shunned the racial and religious bigotry that his own people, the Jews, showed to the Samaritans. So this brings us to our, our first key point today. The generosity of Jesus tears down barriers. He does not let the conventional, the racial, the historic barriers stand in the way of him and his mission. He does not let them stand in the way of showing God's love and God's grace to people. And we're going to unpack that idea a little bit more later on in this message. For now, let's keep on moving with our next couple verses. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when you see that word leprosy, this, was, this indicated a, some kind of skin condition, probably chronic and infectious, which resulted in open sores on the body. Okay, and this was not only physically uncomfortable and painful for those people, it also really disqualified them from most major aspects of Jewish life, both social and religious. You see, going back to the Old Testament, back to Leviticus 13, God lays out all of these different rules and regulations regarding skin conditions among the people. And here's what we find. When anyone has a defiling skin disease, they, are, they must be brought to the priest. The priest is to examine them, and if there is a white swelling in the skin that has turned the hair white, and if there is raw flesh in the swelling, it is a chronic skin disease, and the priest shall pronounce them unclean. And now what happens with these unclean people? Anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face with an N95 mask. No, cover the lower part of their face with something and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. Okay, so what happened? They were considered to be ceremonially unclean. Now, this is just one of many, many, many laws that you'll find in the Old Testament which made a person unclean, ceremonially unclean. And there were a couple of reasons to this. 
Uh, sometimes the, the, the reason was, at least on the surface, was for hygiene's sake, right? You didn't want some kind of very infectious disease spreading through the Israelite camp, and so they were quarantined, sequestered away. But there was always a deeper and much more primary reason behind all of these laws of uncleanliness among the Jewish peoples. They were intended to remind the people that they stood before God as unclean. Just about every single Jew at some point during their lives would have found themselves unclean for one reason or another. And this was meant to, to, to point out to them that they were unclean with sin. And so they could not stand with this sin before a, a holy God. Now, unfortunately, as the history of Israel progressed, they kind of forgot about those main, that main reason, and they started to, to really focus on the external aspects of all of this. And that's why, because people didn't want to catch this and become ceremonially unclean themselves, that's why they began to really push these people way to the margins of society and hopefully forget about them. There wasn't mercy, there wasn't compassion, there wasn't help that was given to people like lepers. They were mistreated, they were emotionally abused, and they were pushed out of thought as best as possible. But the reputation of Jesus precedes him. And so, when they hear that the one who has performed so many miracles is coming into their neighborhood, they seek him out. They ask him for his mercy, for his compassion. Jesus is always willing to give that, isn't he? Understand, really, what they are asking here, though. They are pleading, Jesus, help us get our lives back. They understand that at this point, Jesus is probably their only hope. And so, when he, when Jesus saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. Okay, so if you wanted to be considered ceremonially clean again, you had to go and receive that clean bill of health from the priests. Even if it looked like everything was fine, they were the ones who made it official. Okay, the, the priesthood, they served as the intermediaries, as the representatives between God and people. Right? They were the ones who were responsible for praying for the people. They were the ones who offered sacrifices on behalf of the Jews. And so if you want to truly be clean, if you want to re-enter society, you got to go through the priests. Here's what we find in the second half of that verse. And as they went, they were cleansed. Okay, so they realized, we're fine now, right? All these awful sores that we've had, all this painful rotting of our flesh, it's gone. It's pretty obvious, right? But in order for it to be official, you've still got to go to a priest. Now, let's finish the reading. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? 
Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. And I want to start here kind of with the, the end stuff, all right? Notice what Jesus does not do. He doesn't send him off to the priests again, does he? Jesus actually, in saying your faith has made you well, Jesus is pronouncing upon him a clean bill of health. Now, Jesus was no lawbreaker, nor does he ever encourage anybody else to break those laws that were passed down by, that were passed down by God through Moses. So what's the deal here? That Samaritan did show himself to a priest. Not just any old descendant of Aaron, as were the rest of the priesthood that you might find in Jerusalem. That Samaritan had come and shown himself the priest. The one who was foretold in the Old Testament, who would also be the Messiah and the Savior of his people. Psalm 110 is what we would call a messianic psalm. Okay? So in this is a psalm of David, and as David sings, God is foretelling through his lips about this Messiah who would come. And what does he say? The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And again in Zechariah 6 verse 13, we find one of these messianic prophecies. It is he who will build the temple of the Lord and he will be clothed with majesty and will sit and rule on his throne and he will be a priest on his throne. And there will be harmony between the two. Right In these prophecies of the Messiah, we see the great high priest of the people, the one who was no mere shadow and precursor, as were all of those other descendants of Aaron from the present time in Jerusalem, stretching all the way back to the time of Aaron. This was the priest who had come down from heaven to bring spiritual cleansing for his people. Not the mere healing of their flesh, but the healing of their unclean souls. Brings us to our next key point. The generosity of Jesus makes the spiritually unclean clean again. Now, how does this story of the lepers, Jesus, how does this apply to you and me? The reality is that we all stand before God by nature. Kind of like lepers, right? We stand before him unclean. We stand before him as those who have so much sin, so much rebellion, so much unrighteousness in their lives. And this sin establishes a barrier between you and holy God. Just as the lepers, when they became ceremonially unclean, were shut out from the camp of God's people. That barrier means that we are shut out from God's presence. Shut out from the camp of his people. Shut out from residency in his heavenly city. There is only one who can tear down that barrier. There is only one who can give you your life back. And he is the very one before whom that Samaritan threw himself in praise and thanksgiving 
on that day. Jesus alone. Now, earlier we spoke about generosity, right? Generosity means giving much. Did Jesus give much to those lepers? Did he give much to that Samaritan? Absolutely. There's one other thing, though, that we need to understand about generosity. When you give to somebody else, it means giving that up for you. And so the bigger the need that somebody has, the bigger the generosity it is, the sacrifice it is in order to fill that need. How does Jesus tear down this barrier? How does he supply this need? How does he give us our lives back and bring this this spiritual cleansing to us? Look back at verse 11. Where is he going? He's on his way to Jerusalem, isn't he? where he would stand in front of the priests of the people. Although he would do so without spot or blemish or defect of his own, those priests would call him unclean, blasphemer, sinner, one who deserves to die. They would lead him outside of the city of God's people, up a high hill, called Golgotha, or Calvary. And there they would crucify him. Jesus has come to bring absolution. He has come to to, to bring forgiveness to you and me. He will not let that barrier stretching all the way back to the first sin of Adam and Eve. He will not let it keep him from you and you from God. And so he tears down that barrier by becoming the sacrifice himself. The lamb without blemish or defect. The righteous for the unrighteous. To bring you holy before your God. Hebrews 7, verse 27 puts it like this. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. In faith, we look to this lamb and we know that we are cleansed by that blood, that blood that has washed away and torn down that barrier that stood between you and God. And it means life, real life for you and me. When we see everything that Jesus has done, when we see his generosity, the the great sacrifice that he makes on our behalf, giving up his own life for those who lost theirs, there can really only be one legitimate response to all of this, right? the response that the Samaritan showed. To thank and to praise him. Here's our final key point today. The generosity of Jesus begets our generous thanks. And not just of our lips, but of our lives, right? When we see this generosity of Jesus, it means generosity now of our own. 
in our thanksgiving to him, right? It means giving much. And it also means doing it without some expectation of, of leveraging some kind of blessing out of God in return or, or anything like that. Because the reality is that God has already given you everything that you need. We praise him because, because this blessing is already a part of our lives. Because we see God and know God and his magnanimous love for you and me. Now, I wish that I could unpack this more, um, but that's uh, another sermon. Or if, if you're in a small group, you'll, you'll do some of that work too. Right now, here's what we need to say. This is a thanksgiving that is more than just with our lips. It's a thanksgiving that, that shows itself in our lives, right? That shows itself in our actions and sometimes even, yes, with sacrifices of our own. When Paul was writing that letter, 2 Corinthians, that we read a chunk from before, right? He speaks, he wrote to them about their generosity for those poor and oppressed Christians in Jerusalem. And yet why? Were they enabled to show that kind of generosity? I'm just going to read that last verse. Because they knew and they gave thanks to God for his indescribable gift. We know that indescribable gift. We live every day with that indescribable gift of God that Paul had, that the Corinthians had. That gift of God which tears down the barrier that stood between you and eternal life with him. And now, we thank him, we praise him with everything that he has given us or everything that he has given us. Amen. Amen.